Welcome to Beyond the Gym, and thanks for tuning in. This is the alternative fitness forum for sharing ideas and experiences with personalities from all over the movement community. My name is Jordan Taves, aka the Posture Prince on social media, and I suffered chronic shoulder pain from the age of 15 to 25. It was alternative methods that allowed me to work my way towards pain-free movement with zero surgery, and I believe everybody deserves that same opportunity. It's time we took back control of our bodies. Let's dive in. All right, we are live. I've got Dr. William Raybar with me here. We're going to be talking about some movement stuff, some chiropractic stuff, and I've got his bio here, so I'm going to go ahead and read that. Currently, I work as a chiropractor in Banff, Alberta. However, my passion is human movement and biomechanics. I put theory into tests to find out what works and what doesn't. The Bruce Lee quote, take what's useful and disregard the rest, is how I find movement truth. The ultimate truth is in the movement, not the theory. It has to work in reality. Oh, I love that. Now, running, gate, running in gate mechanics in martial arts, especially boxing, is how I test truth in movement, and theory is always put to the test. From my teenage years into my late 20s, I spent significant time within mainstream fitness practices such as CrossFit, powerlifting, Olympic lifting, gymnastics, and bodybuilding. Not in that particular order. I have also spent time playing soccer, boxing, skiing, amongst other sports, and having stacked many injuries in my teens and 20s from improper training, I was led on a journey into chiropractic and sports injuries. I have worked with thousands of injured patients in eight years of chiropractic practice, and have seen many injuries in the gym as a former CrossFit coach for five years. I've now spent thousands of hours learning and practicing systems such as functional range conditioning, WEC method and GOTA. GOTA has my interest at the, move, at the moment as I see it as a platform for a new paradigm in movement. I believe we, the experts, are using incorrect maps of movement, therefore injuries are prevalent in sport and life. I will always test and retest in my own theories in real movement. I like how you, how you talk about how everything's gotta be tested, everything's a theory, everything is um, always being put to the test because then there's no, there's always room for growth, essentially. There is always room to get better. Um, I'm really curious, what were some of the worst injuries that you experienced that, because I didn't realize that it was your injuries that pushed you into the profession. What were the worst ones? Um, I mean, I've broken multiple bones. Uh, I would say the worst one I've had is uh, a fractured dislocation of my ankle, my left ankle. Um, still got yeah. pins in there, uh, fractured patella. I, I mean, I've, I've had every little injury possible. I was always a smaller guy, but with a lot of power. So I could, you know, in bench press, I could bench almost 400 pounds at, uh, less than 170. Right. So my bones would take my bones and joints would take a lot of force and I'd constantly injure myself. So I'd, I was always pushing for that 405 bench press and my shoulders would go, something would go right. And I would do dips with you know, multiple plates and AC joint, AC joint, uh, SC joint wrestling. And, and it wasn't wrestling formally. It was wrestling with my buddies. Right. Um, okay. I've literally had <laughs> most injuries right now. The one I'm dealing with that's constant is from skiing. I was going, I'm going to guesstimate 70 kilometers an hour. My ski kicked out really fast. I didn't even fall or anything. It just kicked out and my hip just tore. Right. I, I could hear it. I can feel it. And that was about four years ago. 
And uh, I've been dealing with that since. And Gota is really the Gota movement stuff was the first thing I found that I was like, oh, I can do this. And my hip pain would go away and the cracking and creaking would go away. So it really through testing, I was like, okay, there's something to this. Okay. And yeah. what's the timeline with, with like when you tore your hip versus when you started and finished chiropractic school and like what, what was the turning point that made you decide to pursue that? Okay. So, um, I got to rewind a little bit because the, okay. um, the hip tear was after school. It was far after oh, school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I've been chiropractor for 10 years. That was only four years ago. Um, okay. rewinding back to my high school years, I'm going to go through the whole thing again. Right. Yeah. So again, I was, I was playing a lot of sports. I was into everything, uh, soccer, boxing, volleyball, basketball. I'd play it all. Right. And Again, I would, I'd be a go, go, go type guy. So stacking injuries here, I remember rolling my ankle and just taping it up and had that David Goggins type mentality where I was like, I can run through anything, right? So mm -hmm. I would always just play on my injuries unless I physically couldn't walk, I would play on it, right? So in high school, I was always stacking injuries and uh, abnormally abnormal amounts, I'd say for a high school kid, right? And I would actually make fun of other kids who would go to chiropractors or physios at the time. Ironically, I'd be like, you don't need yeah. that. Just, you know, I had that type of mentality. Right. So, um, uh, anyway, I went to university and I got into weight training. I got into weight training, maybe a couple of years, uh, into high school, but really got into it in university. I quit all the sports and just started weight training. So there I was doing powerlifting, bodybuilding. I got jacked. It was, it initially felt great. Right. So, uh, I put on all this muscle. I went from like one, I was 140 when I got into university. I was almost 200 when I left. Right. So yeah, it was a huge difference. And it, it, you know, when you walk around and you're not having to do sports and you're young, it kind of feels good. You're walking around, you're big, you're, you're buff. Everyone's like, Whoa, you're jacked. Um, so there's no problems until you start to do things again. Right. So, right. um, when, when I finished university, I started actually skiing again. I started hiking again, running, doing all those things and stacking injuries. And that's when I really started to realize this isn't really working for me. Right. So, um, fast forward into Cairo school. It was about second year. Um, Again, I was uh, wrestling with one of my buddies, twisted my ankle. He, he actually fell on it and uh, it dislocated, uh, just 360 turnaround, right? Fractured the, uh, the fibula and I was like, okay, this really sucks, <laughs> right? So yeah, that was yeah. a couple surgeries later, um, you know, multiple months. It was three years until I could jog, right? So wow. yeah, um, ironically the ski boot, after a couple of years was the only thing that would keep it tight. So I just, I skied all the time, but when I got out of the ski boot, it was, it just felt floppy and I couldn't, I didn't have the confidence to run on it. Right. So that was really probably the worst injury I've dealt with in, uh, yeah, in my life. And I still feel it. I still don't have the confidence to play a sport where I feel like I'm going to step on someone's, uh, foot because there's no ligaments there. Right. Although right. I do actually feel like, um, there is more repair in there than is given credit for, right? People are like, there's no ligaments there. The op the ankles just floppy, but 
I actually do think they've probably uh, repaired somewhat on their own. Well, I mean, I see a lot of the things that you're doing. You're out in nature. You're like barefoot and stuff like that. It doesn't seem like you're too afraid of rolling your ankle. And um, I do believe that, yeah, the, the depending on the quality of your movement, like you can definitely bring – it's like the – it's like when you – decompress your spine like you just you feel it when it when it has that stability and so you kind of move off of how confident you are um i'm curious do you ever do you ever kick a bag still i do yeah i can do that um feels fine feels fine yeah uh i i'm more careful with the left foot for sure um but i've I've also rolled the right ankle i'm gonna say at least 10 times so both of them have been through the ringer um okay i actually feel um, the only thing I'm afraid of is stepping on someone's foot, right. And rolling mm -hmm. it. Okay. So yeah. when I'm on my own and I have my own, uh, wits about me, I can do things. But when it comes to, well, I'm going to accidentally step on, you know, jump up in basketball, let's say, cause I've done that before, jump up, land, step on someone's foot. That's when I feel like it could go right. So I've avoided those type of activities for a, a long time. Okay. Are you more flat footed or are you like supinated? Uh, now I'm, I'm very go to ask. Um, but I was flat footed for a long time. And that's another thing with, with, uh, the go to stuff. I've, I've actually changed my feet. I've changed my ankles. It, they, they're funneling out and up. They're not flat anymore. Um, it's just when I turn up the volume, ironically, my right, uh, ankle, which I've rolled again, like 10 times, uh, pretty badly too. Uh, it rolls in, so I don't turn up the volume that much. I have no need to sprint at that 100% mark. I can yeah. go at that 80%, still keep it clean, but when I dial it way up, I lose it. So why do it? I'm not a competitive athlete anymore, so I don't really need to do it. Yeah, yeah. I've also noticed, because um, you know, I've done a good amount of go to changing direction is it's hard to to hold it all together too if you're pivoting to the for me it's to the right um i don't i think it's always just that right hip spilling out and then that external torque kind of ripples down your leg and and then all of a sudden it hits your ankle and you just can't it's so hard to control um but i i also think that it's not a thing you can force the control to a certain extent, but I think it's more, it's not so much about uh, doing more and like um, creating more tension. It's, it, sometimes it's about like letting go and, and getting rid of just like a holding pattern that, that you're stuck in, maybe in your psoas or something like that. So that's that, like I posted a, a video of me sprinting like two days ago and it's been, a, it's been probably six to eight months and I didn't, I didn't try to make my heels move away. I didn't, I didn't try to force anything like I used to when I was in the, like when I was knee deep in Gota. And they moved away, and it was like it was such a beautiful moment to actually see it happen effortlessly. Because I've had a lot of people online reach out and be like, "Well, do you really believe that you can hit that point where the movement is effortless?" And there was times where I was like, I'm really not sure because my, my gait still looks pretty ugly. So, and I'm sure you've seen a ton of that just coming to fruition, especially as your, your trainings progressed. It's like, if you were still 
feeling all these things and then you're in your hip and in your ankle like you probably wouldn't be focusing as much on the ropes and the the toys as, as much as you'd be on the ground doing the goda stuff right so you do feel things continuously progressing for sure like uh, with the ropes and the and the things that you see on my instagram where i'm swinging things um i kind of moved away from that and i i kind of recoded for recoded for a while right so i kind of let go of all that and now i feel like i have a handle on it i do more than the average person like i'll i'll go for a, a uh, hour walk here and just concentrate on different parts of my body feeling out what's what right like barefoot in the mountains and that's another thing too right like there's always the debate where it's like do you concentrate on what you're doing or do you just let your body go i can tell you that when you're in terrain and when you're barefoot you have to concentrate on what you're doing right so it kind of automatically happens where if i put my shoes on and go for a walk i don't have to concentrate on anything right so um there is a double-edged sword there where um when you're on terrain you do have to really concentrate on how you walk and you can't walk with as much force as you normally do so it changes everything and that's you learn quite a bit doing that because you have to make your body soft same yeah. thing goes with skiing i ski at a pretty high level here right so i i just automatically my brain knows when to let go of certain parts of my body and absorb with you know let's say hips and my knees are soft but my feet are hard right so it's taking the force from the ground and i can i can do that when i walk as well right so there's a really high level you get when you walk on terrain and not just flat ground, not just grass, right? Because a lot of people are like, let's go barefoot, sprint on grass, right? That's very luxurious. It's it's not really a, something you have to concentrate on. So it, it's kind of, it works both ways, right? Like you, I'm not saying you have to concentrate on your walk all the time because that would be ridiculous. But when you're in yeah. terrain, you do have to concentrate on your walking. You do have to concentrate on how you absorb force within your body. And it teaches you quite a bit about how to uh, go about that. It's pretty wild to think that, you know, you if there's a rock in the trail and you step on it barefooted, the intent is what determines whether or not that rock just destroys your foot. Right, whether you're in like the producing force or absorbing force mindset, because I used to not even understand or grasp the concept of absorbing. It was all produce force, create more tension, um, implement better, better uh, patterns instead of letting go of the old stuff and and soft, like you said, softening your body. That's such a. I think you got you and Anthony have spoken on um, the concept of being able to relax a muscle is just as important as being able to contract and activate. And I always thought that was super interesting. Now, For I sure. Add, um, <clears throat> I spoke to you recently and, and we were talking about Cairo stuff and you had mentioned that you just believe that manual adjustments are, are not as effective as the industry believes and that you've gone a different way with it. So I kind of want to hear how all that coalesced and, and how it started, what sources of information really turned you off of that idea specifically? Well, it really started in, in school. I went to a very research-based school, uh, CMCC in, in Toronto. It's a, yeah, it, it prides itself on being research-based, especially for chiropractic, right? So um, I, I remember my first days there 
and they're like, feel this, feel that. I'm like, I don't feel any of this. Like, what are you talking about? Is everyone just pretending here? Like, I'm, I'm the only one that doesn't feel these things, right? So right. Um, right. fast forward a couple of years in, into school and we're starting to adjust each other. And everyone's getting excited with the pop, 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 you know, the cavitations, they call them, right? And I'm like, is this really doing what, what they're saying? Is this really? And to be honest, at school, they were like, it's more of a, a mechanical thing. So to, to kind of give you a philosophy between the two, sure. Okay, go ahead. Okay. So to give you a philosophical framework for the two ends of chiropractic, there is the, um, what you would call the, uh, subluxation based chiropractors. Okay. And the belief there, the general belief is that there's areas of your spine that have subluxations and they stop the innate flow of intelligence to certain parts of the body. I think you may have seen these charts at your chiropractor's office where, you know, there's a nerve coming out of, let's say, whatever T seven that goes to your spleen or, um, you know, your C five, C three, four, five goes to your diaphragm. So if you just C three, four, five, then it, your diaphragm will work better. So my school was kind of like, that's not really a thing. Okay. Because the holes in the, you know, the nerve goes in the hole like this coming out of your spine and there's still a ton of room there. So what are you actually adjusting? What is actually happening there? I bought into that model. I was like, that doesn't really make sense to me. Right. And how do I know it's working here? How do I know what me, a student just did is making that diaphragm work better? Like uh, I just have to believe, and that didn't sit well with me. Right. So it was more, they were teaching. It, it does make the mechanics work better. So if you're stuck somewhere and you adjust it, you're going to be able to move better and therefore you can move better. Right. So that's what I bought into at the time. And I still somewhat do adjustments when I feel a joint is really restricted, but it's not what I do. It's just another tool in the toolbox for me. And I don't use it all that much. I, I have better tools now to uh, allow for tissue healing and, uh, and movement. I use graded mobilizations because I, I look at the body a little bit differently. We can really go into that, but did you have any more specific questions with adjustments or any, what have you heard about adjustments? What is your take? Well, most of the, the chiros that I, that I talked to, they, my, my, the, the chiro that I'm closest to, his name is Dr. Chris Nguyen, and he was actually on the first episode of the podcast. And he's a Blair upper cervical specialist. Um, so he, he does table adjustments, which are very soft and minimal. And, it, and I like the idea that he's focusing on the atlas at the top of the spine. Um, I look at the, I see this, but I used to do a little bit of electric work. And so I see the spine as kind of like a breaker box, you know, and, and when you have to go out and if, a, if you, um, blow a circuit you have to go out and flip that little switch that's kind of how i see an adjustment um you're bringing the the neurological feedback like back to that area or something else specifically <clears throat> and so i with all the chiros that i've interacted with none of them have really challenged that the manual adjustment theory and um 
you were the first to, to kind of blatantly just outright say it like that. And so that's why I'm, I'm so curious about it. And I'm also curious, so CMTC is the school that you went to? Uh, Canadian Memorial Chiropractic College. Um, okay. Yeah. And, and so what did they, you said they kind of steered you in the right direction. What were they teaching you in place of the status quo? What well, was different from them versus everybody else? Well, it, everything had to be research-based in the medical paradigm. Okay. So to do in fourth year, you work with patients, right? So you're, you're thrown in with, in a clinic and you have to work with patients. Every patient you have, you have to write a report and that you have to justify what you're doing with them and get a paper from, you know, a PubMed or, or Medline or one of the journals to show scientifically what you're doing with the person. Now, this goes in line with what I think is happening now. A lot of people just cherry pick their papers. It's, it's almost like taught that you do that in a lot of different uh, places, not just chiropractic, right? Um, whatever you want to believe, you'll have a paper for it. And of course, there's going to be the rebuttal that, well, a double blind placebo controlled studies are the papers to go to from a reputable journal and they must be peer reviewed, right? Um, I'm going to say, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a thing, right? But how do papers get in there in the first place? Cause there was, uh, you can look at the peer review as a pure process, but there's also gatekeeping. There's ideas that don't make it through just because people don't understand the paradigm. And this is a, a lot of what happens with, you know, the go to movement stuff or like the, um, the, let's say Tom Myers type of, um, tensegrity and fascial lines that doesn't make it into the paradigm because that's not what's taught. So you don't get any studies in the first place. Right. So, um, and how do I say this? Like I did cadaver anatomy for three years, right? One in university two, and I had access to cadaver for the third year as well. Right. So I was cutting it up myself, cutting up bodies myself, and we're taught to do it a certain way. There's no, you do it your own way. It's like you go straight to what they already know. So it's origin and insertion, but that doesn't like, that's not actually even a thing. It's just what we were taught. Right. So, uh, looking at something like Tom Myers, I know I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here, but, uh, looking at something like Tom Myers when I was in school and he's like, actually there's fascial lines. It's like, wait, we just cut the fascia. We just cut straight through it. We don't even look at it. So how's that actually supposed to make it to a study when everyone's just cutting through it? Right. So nobody's actually looking at it because it doesn't get there in the first place. So kind of back to, um, back to school. Yeah. We were in fourth year, had to justify everything with scientific papers. And, um, I was taught and I'm willing to look at the other side here. Definitely. Right. I, I'm kind of actually curious to have someone on the, on the art of move and get them to explain to me as a chiropractor for 10 years, ironically, what they're actually doing. Right. So I know, I know quite a bit about it, but, um, basically, uh, with the, with the whole adjustment thing, uh, let's say I get punched in the head in boxing. Okay. That's I'm getting punched from somewhere. Right. And I don't know which force is happening where, and it's like, that's an adjustment of, of a kind. Right. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's good or bad. Not sure what I do. Let's say with the Atlas axis is I'm, I, feel it with my hands, right? And I feel if there's a restriction on either side, I feel if it's flowing and I move it gently in every direction. 
and at the same time i'm releasing the muscles by just putting a little bit of pressure on there now there's a feel aspect to this right and i can tell you on the on the woo woo side of it i try to feel like i try to imagine healing okay i try to imagine good energy uh you're safe i i see even say it in my head you're safe i have good intentions and I, and i move back and forth and i put it in every direction i have a lot of success with this right what did i actually do there did i adjust i don't know but it works quite a bit and people get really good results from it right so uh, as opposed to taking a head and going boom like this right and just adjusting it i don't know like i don't know if most people or most kairos physios with a you know a a lot of physios will take just like a few weekend courses know what they're doing and what direction it's going and how it's staying and what you actually did there and if you can be specific because the scientific papers say you can't even be specific right so that i've seen okay so how is that actually even happening right now again i'd, I'd love to have someone on the show to rebut that yeah I'll, I'll uh i'll ask in my little circle of kairos and see if anybody's up to the challenge um i i like the the fact that you laid it laid out what you do in in that sense because I feel like if you're a Cairo and you went to school and you learned specific adjustments, you kind of will, no matter what, just like when you're in the gym, you'll fall into patterns. You'll fall into patterns of um, the way you see people, the way that you adjust them. And, and so you might be hitting the same adjustment on, on, let's say, 20 different people. And they all had different, different variables, different things going on in their life, different forces, different injuries. And so it's like you're, you, that's no different from the, the doctor like prescribing the one, one thing for all the different um, symptoms, not really ever looking at the root cause. And what, you, what it sounds like you're doing is you're kind of trying to just break any patterns and um, provide like a free floating space for their head to heal its, or their, their neck or their atlas to, to adjust and to heal itself. Like you're guiding them through their own adjustment versus you kind of forcing forcing an adjustment that you you know and that you've done a bunch of times so you're following like your body's intuition and also with the with the more woo-woo side of things of of having intention and um speaking i don't, I don't know if you consider that like affirmations or whatever but the it reminds me of that study where the guy had all those plants and he would bully and, and speak negatively to some of the plants and then he would speak kind words and loving words to other plants and there was a major major difference in how the plants developed so it's like there's a, a validity to i guess i don't know the vibrations of maybe our consciousness or whatever the case so i see it i see the, the validity of that and also just kind of feeling your way through things i i kind of i find myself taking the same approach with movement because I am just, the whole time that they're doing, I'll start with a, a go-to movement or something that I've been playing with myself and I'll just ask them a dozen questions for feedback about what they're feeling, um, what they're thinking. And as the, if they're a good communicator, they'll get way more out of the session. Just like I'm sure if somebody is more relaxed on the table, they'll get a lot better of an adjustment versus if they're like questioning you or they're fighting like the, they, they were forced to, to go there by, a, a, I don't know, they, maybe they were, it was on doctor's orders, something like that. 
um, I feel like the environment and the mindset, like it all adds up. You know, it may seem like it's really far-fetched and out there, but I think there's a, a total validity to that. Um, I, I think it's not far-fetched at all. I think it's far-fetched the opposite way. Here's the thing, like the, the place I work at, or I have my own office, it's a one-on-one -on -one setting. It's your time. I'm not running around. I have your attention. You have my attention. And I have to, there's an art to it. The communication side's an art. I have to feel what the person and is coming in with. And it's not just me doing the healing, you know, like that's not a thing. A lot of people think that I'm going to go into the chiropractor. They have one thing to do and it's adjust. Okay. So the chiropractor already has the intention of doing the adjustment before the, they even know the patient, right? They have one hammer to hit. And yeah. that's not the way I look at it. If somebody, so if somebody comes in with a disc herniation, I no longer touch them most of the time. If they're in a major amount of pain, I'm like, we're going to take the next hour and we're going to figure out positions of relief for you so that your body can do the healing. And it may take like people come in screaming, right? They can't walk. They're screaming. They're in agony. If I just touch them, it's going to get worse, you know? So uh, there's like an art to it where I know from experience that this person just needs to find positions of relief and experience those positions for the next two days until their nervous systems calm down. Cause to me, that's like a scared animal. It's like, it's backed into a corner. And if you touch that, it's just going to lash out. Okay. Because it's, mm -hmm. it's already been traumatized. Okay. So there is definitely an art to feeling out the person in terms of communication that is sorely missed because clinics are very busy. Um, they're going from room to room and it's just like, Hey, how's it going? Oh yeah. C3 boom. You know, like, uh, it, there's a lot of that going on physio and chiro clinics, osteopaths, people who are busy don't have the time to connect with a person. You need the time to connect with somebody in order to do a proper job because I think that's just the way that humans operate. Like there's no way around it. You have to, in order to be a healer, cause that's the way I look at myself. I don't look at myself like a profession, you know, like I'm not Will the chiropractor. I'm, I'm trying to heal you and guide you towards healing. Sometimes that might just be consulting what you need. Sometimes it's a physical, like I do work physically with people. Um, but a lot of times it is affirming that you're going to be okay. And a lot of the times when that, when you tell them they're going to be okay, and you know that from experience and they believe you, placebo effect works. There's a reason placebo effect works. It is a thing that you have to put in even double blind placebo controlled, you know, studies. It works 30% of the time ish because your mind believes it. And it's like, how, how do we not think that's a thing when it has to be there in every study from even the most scientific people who don't believe in, you know, affirmations or you know, positivity mindset, it's there no matter what. So if you believe you're going to heal, you're definitely setting yourself up in the least to heal. But sometimes it takes, and especially with our society, it takes an outside force. It's like, okay, you're the expert. You have to tell me that it's okay for me to heal. Then I believe you because we've communicated, we've had that interaction. And then I can go out and be okay with what I have. I know that this pain is going to go away. So a lot of times there's that aspect to it that's missed. It's not just going in there and physically getting an adjustment, right? So yeah, I mean, that's a, a little bit of a that's tangent a, on that one. Wildly, 
that's a wildly underrated um, concept. The the I like how we keep referring to it as the art because like the, all this is it's based around science, but it is you know movement and and healing and all this stuff. Their their art, their expression. Um, but the the idea that that communication is kind of the deciding factor a lot of the times whether or not people have any results at all and you know i have a very different background from you i work in a commercial gym so a lot of the times when people get paired with me they're wanting to just burn some body fat and um work through you know a lot of people come to me beat up and they have tons of pre-existing injuries and they don't care they just they want to not be fat anymore they want to look better and the, the if if i wasn't a good communicator like i would not be able to convince these people to go a different route and to focus on the joints and the connective tissues and healing their body before they pursue the more aesthetic perspectives of fitness and health and, and all that stuff and if i think that if you're trying to get into any any realm of this industry you have to understand that you need to be able to communicate you need to be able to get inside people's heads some folks they're not going to be receptive at first and you have to be able to i don't like using the word manipulate but you have to convince them you have to it's not it's not even a, a sell it's like you're you're just trying to get them to see the light sort of a thing and that's a lot of the times in a, in a gym setting where people aren't there aren't coming there to to heal per se that that is a tough conversation to have so it's it's i like the fact that you're thinking about communication as a as a major point in all of this like that, that that's kind of that's kind of the basis of humanity you know what i mean it's very interesting what you just said like uh with the selling if you truly believe in what you're doing you should sell right because uh you actually believe it, it it's your duty to sell them on what you believe is is the truth and um, will actually heal them. Right. And then there's the aspect of what are the expectations when they come in? Because somebody's expectations of coming into a chiropractic clinic is much different than going to a, to a gym to burn fat. Right. So I know this because I've, I've worked both and, um, people are coming to me for the most part to get rid of pain. They're, they're just like, I'm in pain. I need this gone. Like, please. Uh, so a lot of times I'm not going to hit them with like, you need inside ankle bone high. Like, uh, you know, like, I don't, I don't say that stuff. Right. But like, you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm not preaching mechanics off the get go because they just want to get rid of their pain. And as I do that, and as they get success with that, they may want to learn more. So I don't really push in that way off the get go. I'll gauge if someone's interested, definitely. And that's the other thing too. Um, even with personal trainers and, chiropractors, physios, I spend so much time just off the get go taking a history and not just like, you know, the formal history that most doctors do. It's like, what do you do? What are your interests? Uh, you hike like, um, you know, a skier here, you're getting right into what they do and what they actually love to do. And it's like, let's get you back to that. So how interested is the person in healing themselves? So again, like a lot of people come in, they're like, I don't want to heal myself. I want you to heal me because I've heard you can do it fast, right? So there's definitely an expectation there that's different from a personal trainer where um, they may not expect you to get rid of your their pain. They're expecting you to get rid of their body fat. So 
again, it's a tough sell there, but maybe there's a bridge in communication between the two to sell the movement aspect. And in the long run, you will get the fat gloss in an easier way. Cause I, I think, you know, this, that now it's easy for me to like, I don't put on fat cause I eat well, I move all the time. My, uh, nervous system works well. My fascial system works well. I get out into nature in the sun. It's actually very easy for me. And I do the things I love to do back in the paradigm, my old paradigm, I'd be going to the gym for two hours a day, trying to get buff, losing it, getting injured, going to get buff again. And it's just like a, a cycle, you know, like where I'm putting in so much energy into this one thing. And it's actually super simple on the other end. If you just have the right tools in the toolbox. Right. That's so an interesting point in the conversation where, where somebody's talking to you about, well, you know, you're a trainer, so this like you work, you work out all the time. It's easy for you. But the reality is like, I get so busy with work and the, the social media content and all that, that I'll go two weeks without working out, but it doesn't change anything. You know, I'm still moving well the whole time, high quality movement. Um, I'm, I'm still eating healthy. Like it, it really, if I stopped working out completely, like I, my body wouldn't change that much because again, I know how to move. I know how to leverage myself. I know how to breathe. And so like getting people to see, although it, you need a lot of work at first, eventually it, it, it's just this kind of, it's, it's, it's always with you. That's what, that's what I always talk to people about. I'm like the difference between what you do with me and what you do with another trainer is that I'm teaching you how to do the things that you're going to have to do for the rest of your life. You're going to have to get in and out of a car, sit down into a chair, you know, go on a walk to get places. Like all these things are, are unavoidable. And if you can do those the best, think in terms of numbers, because that's what, that's really how you get results in the body fast is by, by, um, keeping yourself in the right math, be it your calories or, uh, your steps at the end of the day, it's a, it's a numbers game. So if you're looking at it as, as reps and sets and all that stuff, think about the quality of those reps. If each step is a rep, you want the best quality out of that, because that's the one thing our body was built to do is, is walk and run and all that stuff. So if you move well and you move consistently, the working out stuff is, is extra. It's, it's fine tuning and problem solving. Um, or for some people it's, it's more of a social dynamic and it's how they kind of release at the end of the day. So, um, it's different for everybody, but I love, like, I love getting to that, meeting them in the middle and, and, and bridging the gap, especially on somebody who has no interest in like healing and biomechanics and all that stuff. Like I'll ask them, like you said, like you just ask about their history. Well, I ask what, what's their work situation? Like, do they have a standing desk? Are they uh, fidgety? Do they, do they like tap their foot a lot? Things like that. So that I can picture a, a, an average day of their life in my head and I can start to see kind of their, their movement personality per se. So um, yeah, I love that. I love that point. I want to, I want to ask you real quick, um, how has your, your study of chiropractic had like a direct effect on your training or has it been the study of movement and biomechanics itself that's had the, the biggest effect? 
I, I think the what you just said, the movement of biomechanics into the chiropractic. So um, to be honest, in, in chiropractic school, you learn you do learn a lot of anatomy. You learn how the joints move definitely, okay? But you don't learn it in movement. You learn it on the table. Like, you know, uh, um, Gil is correct about that. It is cadaver anatomy, right? So um, I can picture every part of the body in my head and exactly how it connects according to how we described it in school, right? But when it comes to movement, I don't think a lot of physios, chiropractors, osteopaths, I don't think they have the map of the movement. They have the map of the still anatomy. So in school, I was probably one of the more interested, if not the most interested in, you know, at the time it was FMS. I, I don't know if you know, Gray Cook, um, Stu oh, McGill, the functional movement screens, things like that. Right. And okay. I thought that was like cutting edge at the time. And I was like, you guys aren't into this. This is amazing. Right. And, uh, not a lot of people were, so not a lot of people get that aspect of it. It is more the, the rehab that you see from most of the popular rehab guys. Y's and T's. Okay. So for instance, if I do a Y here, the scapula and the back will come together. So those muscles are getting worked. So therefore those muscles will be more protected during the day. Right? So that to me doesn't work anymore. It's just, it's not how it actually works and plays out in real life. The understanding of how the body works in a symphony from head to toe energy movement versus muscles contracting is the real key, right? So none of that is really taught in, I don't think any of the schools, I believe like, to be honest, I may have biased, but our school was very ahead of the time. You know, uh, Andrea Spina from FRC, he went to CMCC, a lot of really good, um, really smart people went there, right? Um, okay. I think we were a little bit ahead but I, I do think most of the industry is still in the rehab single muscle paradigm. And in fact, today on Instagram, I saw, uh, it's not the hip that, uh, causes knee pain. It's the quad, right? So it's like these singular problems that you have. So therefore we should go on the quad machine and work your quads, right? That is literally not how it plays out in real life at all. And still this day in 2022, we don't recognize that that that's the case. So I think a lot of these movement systems that have the locomotion and full body and mind and energy movement are on the right track. They're, they may be, you know, differentiating in small ways and infighting because of small details, but you're on the right track. I think if you're looking at energy movement and, um, how energy flows through the body and how joints move with that energy everything has to match properly. Right. So again, that's not taught in most, if not any schools. Mm -hmm. And I think it does stem from the fact that the paradigm is stuck because the studies won't, it, it all comes from studies and the studies won't recognize this because if I try to get this type of study in a journal in a prestigious journal, it's not getting in because they're going to be like, what is this? Right. Yeah. So therefore nobody's going to look at it. Right. So most people aren't even motivated to get that study done or to know that that's what they have to observe. Observation is key. You have to observe what is happening. That's why I really liked Gota when I saw it. I'm like, okay, they they took a step back and they're just observing what's happening. 
They're not pontificating through papers. They're just like, okay, we're noticing this pattern happen over and over and over again. Let's theorize about it. And I love the theory, but again, it has to work in reality for me personally, because I think guys like, uh, you know, that are actually trying to apply it are on the cutting edge of it. So there's no guidance on the cutting edge, right? Like you have to go against the grain big time. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I look at the whole paradigm between the movement and the, uh, medical field, I guess you can say. Yeah, that, that, that was a very, I mean, it, it is kind of black and white like that. It's either structure or energy. And I, one of my favorite, I know you said you had studied WEC for a little while. I went and got his RMT certification a few weeks ago. And one of the things that I loved the most was their, um, eh, I think Goda Goda will see it as front chain and back chain, but then Weck calls it external and internal torsion, and that forced me to sort of, uh, you know, it, it didn't change it didn't change everything, but it did force me to look at the body a little bit differently, especially because they they highlight they give you this workbook. Actually, I've got it right here, um, and they highlight all the muscles that are involved in each. And so instead of just seeing hamstrings, erectors, and, and glutes in the back chain, now you're seeing head to toe. Yeah, I don't know if you can see it all that well. Yeah, I have that book as well. I did the uh, RMT. Oh, perfect. Uh, yeah. Dude, I love this so much. This has helped me connect so many dots and feel so many new things like lateral calf and stuff like that. Um, so I, I think that the two kind of complement each other really well. And I like that idea of, of instead of just looking at it as front chain, back chain, actually like bringing the, 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 the movement or the energy side of it. And, and Chris Chamberlain is such a good instructor. He was talking about how, you know, he doesn't really have any injuries. He's, he's a stud. So he just kind of bounces back and forth between training external and internal, depending on what he's feeling. If he feels like he starts getting weak and external, then he'll train more of that. He said, sometimes he goes too far in either direction and it starts to like, he feels a little nag in his shoulder or something like that. But it, I like the simplicity of it too, because then they have ways to adapt each and every exercise to be a little more external or internal. And although you have to be careful when you start working around in the front chain, like at the same time, when I first did my coaching cert, like I avoided my big toes for the whole time. Um, And then when I came back to kind of, well, they started to bother me actually, like my right big toe started to bother me specifically, I think because that foot was already a little bit more inclined towards like a supination and um, I also broken all of all five metatarsals in that foot and did an extreme amount of uh, damage to the met head on the big toe. So by avoiding it, I think that pressure was just building in there. And then now by implementing certain concepts from WEC into like a go to movement or something like that, I can find leverage where I feel pressure relief in the met head and in the toe itself. So then my whole foot and ankle feel like they decompress in those moments. And the the changes are slow and and tough at this point because my body feels great all around. But now that we're getting so deep into the fine tuning that like it, it, it's really, um, 
it's 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 getting difficult at this point to still problem solve when there's becoming like there's less and less problems you kind of feel like you're in that same space where you're really having to search for things to improve on um yeah for me now it's just it's actually going out and doing like i have to do very little you know recode work um and i can do the ropes and still do still be in my back chain because i actually like the back chain i found that to be an 80 20 for me and i noticed that with clients so I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of a story first off like um with the with the go to WEC stuff the thing i love about WEC is that it's go out and do immediately like um i could teach my mom the ropes like i, I did that a couple weekends ago i'm like just grab this rope it's kind of like skipping for her she's a little older and she doesn't want to like mom stay in the back chain and uh sit on the ground on your knees she's like what are you talking about right versus or do these squats she's like no but she'll grab the rope she had a smile on her face and it's just it's move right so okay. it's learning from that aspect of it and for me when he was like when i saw the first head over foot video he ever put out the green line over the foot i'm like that matches up with serge grekovetsky's spinal engine i'm gonna go out and try it and as soon as i started playing with it i'm like this is so much better right? This is so much better than what I was doing with, you know, the hard brace, the core, I can show you old videos where my core is just like a rock solid piece. And yeah, I was strong, but I was, my energy was stuck there. Right. So that was my first gateway into letting go of my body and, and seeing it more of an energy movement system. Okay. And that's the first thing. The second thing is with the internal external torque. I love that stuff, but with the front chain back chain, uh, I really like the back chain aspect of it because it's so simple. It actually like, I see it as a, almost a demarcation line of where the forces start. So uh, when I put my butt back in the back chain, my glutes are ready to roll, okay? And in chiropractic physio, the debate is still there of whether to anterior tilt, posterior tilt, all those, those tilts, right? Mm -hmm. But they never look at front chain, back chain. So if I'm in the front chain and I'm anterior tilted, there's going to be a ton of pressure on my vertebrae. Okay. So I can show you this. If I'm here, back here like this. Okay. And I go into, into an anterior tilt, I'm not going to have as much pressure there. Right. And if, mm -hmm. but if I go here and I'm anterior tilted, there's going to be a lot of pressure right there. Mm. Okay. So if I just move this back, watch there. The spine elongates and depressurizes. Okay. So okay. the tilt is less important when I'm farther back in the back chain. And it becomes way more important when I'm in the front chain at a pressure level. What's happening to the low back? So when I see people come in, and of course everyone's coming into me for low backs, right? Like you're probably not seeing an acute low back. So I have a unique perspective on this where I can I can see the correlation now like anecdotally i'm like okay and my fix again is just like go in the back chain and i can literally take a person in pain and just bring their hips back and it's like okay that's going away pain's going away you know yeah. inch by inch right so i know it's true because i can just do it every i'm gonna do it today right so i used to think it was anterior posterior tilt and that's where the industry's at right now that's where Stu mcgill's at that's where uh most physios are at it's like let's avoid anterior tilt but the real gravy is the uh is the posterior or sorry uh back chain front chain stuff right so yeah, I like i liked what you said a lot about the 80 20 
like that that makes a ton of sense for me and I actually have a que- another little question for you I was reading a book called The Endless Web recently it's all fascial anatomy and I think that they were saying that the the sheaths or the the slings they their their origin technically would be on like are they called tubercles or tubercles yeah um what do you mean by that exactly which tubercles in the uh on the back side of the hip like ps anias um oh yeah okay so so what the book says basically is that's where movement originates and and when you when we talk about like loading the bow like I think about the glutes as the the main bow that you want to load because as you push back, you don't have to contract or anything. The glutes just they do their thing, yeah. and that's that's kind of I've always been searching for like, well, where do I originate my movement from? And ever since I learned that about the tubercles, like it's all starting to come together now. I I agree and disagree with that. In that okay. the movement starts with intention, intention to do something. I think that that's the ultimate attribute is the intention to do something you ever see mike tyson he's like i intend to be bad i intend to punch through the guy right like if he intended to just tap the guy he wouldn't be mike tyson right like there's an intention behind what you're doing and i think that is the ultimate uh behavior change okay but i don't think uh movement really originates anywhere i think there's points where it's stronger there's stronger tissue. And I think you're correct about the glutes because people are like IT band, IT band is an extension of the glute to the lower leg. Okay. So if you load the glute, you're loading the IT band and there's not just like with fascia, it's not just origin insertion. There's also fascia. That's like the whole thing is let's say the IT band, right? Let's just take that for an example. There's going to be attachments here as well. And there's attachments on the underside that go inside. So it's not just here and here. That's classically, that's how it's looked at. It's a whole wrap. And that goes with everything. Okay, so um, it, it's attached everywhere. So in, in a certain sense, people are like, well, since you're working, let's say you're working fascia with everything, therefore you can do anything and work fascia. Not exactly. Okay. So it's like a logical thing where I will put the forces in and how I code them. That's why I kind of like the bow. It's because the highest force is going to be out in the bow. And when you corner, right? Mm -hmm. So I like working the bow because I'm going to work the fascia in that, uh, in that aspect, I'm going to work it how, when it's the most, uh, powerful, when I have to release it the most but it never matches up to what you're actually doing in real life. You actually have to go and do it in real life. You can only do so much gym work to match what you're gonna do in real life. That's what actually codes the movement, codes the intention and codes the fascia to do its thing. And that's what actually makes the fascia healthy. We can do all these bounces in the gym. We can do all these plyos in the gym. It's gonna help a little bit, but you actually have to go out and do your activity, walking, running, uh, throwing, striking, those are all um, aspects of actually moving, and that's what will get you the good fascia. Be outside. That's your, uh, you know, um, I guess you can say chemical, electrochemical uh, aspect of it, right? So maybe I'm going a little bit 
off the deep end there, but uh No, I feel you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You no, know, like fascia is attached everywhere and it's not just origin insertion. That was my basic point. There's sheaths in uh, all directions. It's so it's so interesting like the I feel like we know so little like even when you guys were studying um cadavers you said you just cut right through the fascia and something that i've heard before is that the fascia after somebody's dead it's so different all the water drains out of it and it it doesn't have that webby texture as much as it used to um one of the one of the other things that i was thinking about real quick um oh yeah I, so in a in a one of the episodes on Art of Move a while back, I remember hearing you say that you, with the PRI stuff and the and the asymmetries between the sides of the body, um, you don't see it having that much of an effect on the body. And this was a while back. I'm curious, do you still kind of feel the same about that? Yeah, um, I think what's more important is pressure mediation. Okay, so. Uh, which PRI actually does touch on more than most. So I, I give them credit for that. I don't think the asymmetries matter as much unless they're gross asymmetries. Okay. Mm. Um, I don't think the fact that one organs on one side of the body and not the other makes a huge, huge difference to the movement. Uh, I, I think that if you're, let's say an office worker, Okay. So the, back to the pressure mediation, if I'm an office worker and I'm sitting in that, you know, office worker position where I'm like this, that right there is something called like in, in the scientific terms is called creep. Basically your ligaments over time are going to elongate like an elastic band. And that's the pressure that you're putting on it. So you have to mediate that pressure by doing the opposite or stopping it from happening in the first place by not doing it. Okay. Another one is if I'm, let's say I'm an office worker, I'm leaning onto this side all day. There's pressure built up here, elongation built up here. I'm going to go out and that pressure is going to continue. So I want to mediate the pressure between the two. And this goes along with, um, you know, front chain, back chain as well. If my hips are shoved forward like this, the pressure is going to come on right here. I want to mediate the pressure by bringing it back and elongating it, right? So the pressure mediation to me is very, very, very key. And it's missed kind of nobody's really talking about it except for PRI. And I don't even think they talk about it in that sort of way. Um, they're more, they're, uh, there's a difference between the diagnosis and the application afterwards. So I find their diagnoses are pretty good. Like this is a problem. This, there's too much pressure built here. But I don't find their applications to be what I would do. I like the, you know, the go to WEC or I shouldn't even say that, like the movement type of applications to bring right. pressure back to where to nullify the pressure. Yeah. And bring it into actual movement behaviors versus like sitting on a floor with a ball in between your legs and like that sort of a thing. I know I've been watching a ton of PRI more so to to listen to how he diagnoses and, and to hear him describe the what is it the AIC patterns or, or whatever. And then I just instead of trying their exercises, I just apply the diagnosis within whatever my routine is going to be that day. And it it's crazy. It, it feels it feels awesome. And I also I've been trying to spread 
everything lately, like, like not, um, you know, I, for a while I unfollowed all the FP guys and then went all go to, and like have kind of like bounced around with that stuff. But now I just try to follow everybody and like absorb a little bit from everyone. And like, I've even been learning about, um, like right now, I think one of the most important muscles to train is your diaphragm and, and having, like you're talking about pressure mediation, my, 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 my movement. So it's all right now, but like my breath is pretty terrible and it's such a hard thing because there's so many variables that come into it. Like you're, you're, you breathe nonstop, no matter what you do. Um, and when you're, if you drink coffee, your breath is altered. If you rest for too long, your breath is altered. If you sleep funny, you know, there's so many different things. And, um, I, my biggest issue is always my shoulders. And I feel like now looking back, it was always the diaphragm that was off because the ribs were pressurized in a, in a weird way. And so those shoulder blades did not have a smooth, even surface to glide on. So like, if I had just been introduced to the right, um, I don't know if it would be like oxygen advantage or whoever to, to correct the diaphragm that everything else go to FP, everything else would have been so much easier, you know? Yeah. There's a, it's an interesting point you bring up there because, uh, you know, how I said pressure mediation earlier. Well, there's, there's also a neurological aspect to it too, right? The electro aspect to it where over a period of time, you're like, because you do it, let's say you haven't took a proper breath into your diaphragm for years. There's going to be no reason for it to be an expansive tissue to be elastic anymore. So therefore the mechanical aspect of it has shrunk. Okay. So your nervous system's not going to allow you to expand it. So you have to build it back up. But a lot of people also come into it with maybe there's not a mechanical problem. It's just a neurological problem. And then from there, the breath work could be immediate, right? It could be an immediate change. So um, back to what you were saying with the ribs. For me, I compressed my ribs so much from heavy weightlifting, from never expanding it, from you know sitting at school all day and being in that tucked position. And that's also a position of like, you know, it, it's associated with like fear you're tucking in, right? You don't want to get hit. It's like everything is being tucked in. And just from pressure standpoint, if I do this, there's going to be higher pressure into my organs. There's going to be higher pressure in there, higher blood pressure, higher pressure for the lymph to flow through all those things. Right? So now I've expanded my, uh, ribs and they're, they act more elastic by doing things like ropes, doing those figure eights, right? That's an underrated aspect of that. It's not just like head over foot training or the mechanical, we, we want to go into mechanics so bad because it's a biomechanics like thing that we got going on, but there's way more to it. There's the neurological aspect of it as well. Right? So I think with breath, it's a huge neurological component for a lot of people and it feeds back. It's like, if you're a nervous person or you have anxiety, you're not going to be breathing properly. Take it two years of that. And all of a sudden you have a mechanical problem. So they feed back on each other like that. Um, I really like the, you know, breathing with Brian, Brian Mirabella. Mm -hmm. I was like, he, he gave me his like six month program. I'm like, can you just hit me with one cue to do? Cause like, I I'm gonna, uh, not get to this for a little while. So I started running up the mountain here with three seconds in my nose, three seconds out. And from a feel aspect of it, 
I could go way slower. I was going way slower, but there was a point, like it's such a fine line of where I could still continue doing this. And I was feeling my body way more as I was doing it because there was such a thin area to go to. So I can feel my mechanics even more as I was doing this three seconds in three seconds out. The, the actual pace of the breath was thin to you. Is that what you mean? No, like, uh, well, there's, if I went a little bit faster as I was going up the mountain, I couldn't keep up the three seconds in three seconds out. Then I would start mouth breathing and I could do that. That's fine. That's how I normally do it. Right. You just go until you mouth breathe and then just go harder and harder. That's what everybody does. But when I was taking three seconds in three seconds out of the nose, my pace had to be perfect. Therefore I was able to feel my body much more, the mechanics, the fluidity behind my body. I could, I could have a more, a much more feel for my mechanics at that point. Right. So I was playing with that for 15 days straight before I, uh, I had a little bit of a hiccup. My, uh, my dad was sick, but uh, anyway, the, uh, I did it for 15 days straight. And by the end of the 15 days, I was almost up to the time I was before when I was mouth breathing, but able to do it through my nose and able to be much more relaxed. So I'm, I can't wait to get back at this for like 30, 45 days to be able to play with it a little bit more. And you were able to maintain the three seconds in three seconds out pace. That was my number one goal is to do only do that. I'm not going any faster if I can't maintain that pace. So yeah, again, you have to like give up a little bit at the get go. You're going to be slower. You're going to be real slow, right? I, I was probably, there's a, a trail up here and it usually takes me about 15 minutes going pretty hard. It took me about 20, a little bit above 20. Um, the first time I did it now I'm back down to like 16 minutes still maintaining the nose breath, right? So, or the nasal breathing. So, uh, yeah, Brian Mirabella, thank you for that. That was all really good stuff, right? So I'm, I'm interested in playing with that. And again, like that's how the neurological system can feed back to the mechanics. That's kind of where I was going with that is that they're, they're tied together. They're not just, we want to separate them. They're not really separable. They're tied together. Yeah. And breath is breath and intention are like the key aspects there that are, that are missed yeah. in the mechanics world. Yeah. That was one of my favorite things that Wex said on his episode was the intent. And, um, that's undeniable. I mean, that, yeah, that's the driver behind everything. And, and then the breath is like the, the original movement. It was, um, what, what shaped us in the first place. And then, so I, 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 I'm definitely going to try that out. The three seconds in three seconds out nose breathing. Um, let me just run through my actual written questions here and sure. see if there's anything important. I got time. I'm enjoying the conversation. So hit, cool. hit it. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad. Um, <laughs> this is kind of a little different, but do you think that that biomechanics and movement practice will ever be like the new thing, like yoga and CrossFit? Do you think we'll have our day? I think it's, it's coming to a certain aspect of it. There's a lot of detraction from it because it's not a, people want the aesthetics. That's just the, where our society's at. And unless you can bring that into the mix, it's going to be very hard to do. Um, ironically, a lot of the movement biomechanics guys look great, right? <laughs> um, yeah. but it's, it's not as simple as just going to the gym and pumping iron, right? So. 
it's it's a tough one. I don't think it's going to ever go completely mainstream. And there's a lot of easy marketing. Like I could have, I guess you can say, quote unquote, sell out pretty easily a lot, right? Or it's just like, I don't want to go too far into it, but like there's a lot of detraction from the actual goods, good mechanical stuff into just do this because it's easier marketing and this person's popular. So just follow them and, and you'll you're like, I'm, I'm not going to say who, but let's say, um, for running, if you put a fancy video up, uh, if you do a video of you flipping, like you, you know, this, if, if you did a video of you flipping, you'll get yes. way more views yeah, yeah. than uh, a beautiful run, right? Like, um, <laughs> it's just the way it is. Right. And I'm not yeah. hating on it, but it's, it's a fact. I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to put up a video, an old video of me doing like a heavy weight or a, you know, one move explosive guy. I always talk about them, right? Where, do you know what that is? Where you're like, like you're, uh, well, go ahead, go ahead. So to me, the one move explosive guys are the, the guys like, um, real game athletics or, um, like a Roy Mon attacks where they're doing one explosive move. And then it's a, uh, statuesque pose afterwards, you know, oh, okay. that, okay. that fits with the algorithm. And it's, it's attractive to an athlete or to a younger guy, right? Or, or some, someone who wants to be powerful, it'll be very attractive because it's like, that is how you gain power, right? So that is an easy detraction from the real good biomechanical, uh, information because it, it's sexier, right? It just, it fits with the algorithm. It's sexier. It's eye catching where, um, you know, go to talking about indigenous is not that sexy, right? Like, it's just, it, it's like, look at how they're running and, and sit on your heels. It's like, that's right. There's no cell behind that. Look right? at their like, feet. Just keep looking at their feet. Exactly. Right. Like, so, um, which is fine. That That's just the way it is. And, uh, it, it, it's a difference between making money and actually having the mechanics and the knowledge to, move forward. Maybe there's a cell there somewhere that we don't know about, right? Like, but it's not going to be mainstream ever. I don't think. Yeah. That's just my opinion. There's no, there's no real money behind it. I think me personally, the real, like to get back to it, it's like, you have to be in nature and then that'll actually be the, um, how people get their health back, Mm -hmm. be in nature. You know, a lot of the, uh, I guess you can say go to laws where it's like, you know, back chain and, uh, being in your columns, things like that, where it's not a good sell, but just existing in those laws and being outside in nature. Like I haven't been to a gym in years and I love being outside now, just expressing my body. And I feel way more healthy than when I put hours in, in the gym, but to sell that to me as a young man, no chance. Right. Like I wanted the big muscles. I wanted the fast, I wanted to be fast, stronger, more powerful. That would have caught my eye way more than are you in your back chain or like sit on your heels? Yeah. Basically that's kind of what I think about that. Yeah. We need, uh, we need some bigger names. People, it's like the, like when Arnold first started doing his thing, he was huge and he I, to a lot of people he was probably really sexy so like that sold instantly and then with yoga like 
these people are so flexible and they can do so many cool little tricks like it has to be either flashy or sexy or something like that and um, I, I I do think that as more individuals like Mark Smelly Bell like come into the the arena, it will expand. And I think I think a lot of things will just be adapted. Like like mm-hmm. people will just bring it into what they're already doing, which I'm okay with that. Like if if at least people are addressing the pain and and these things instead of just pushing through and and um, acting like their injuries are like metals or something and like that's just part of the gym and and all that like like that's a that's a major step in the right direction so i'd be i'd be happy with that um i also think that like the social aspect of it is huge because you know i do my i do my thing in the gym almost every day because i'm there for eight to ten hours working and i'm on the floor in the turf area and and There's not a lot of people coming up to me asking me what I'm doing. There's definitely, you know, curious folks out there, but the reality is, is that like, I don't have people asking to work out with me too often the way that like, you know, I'll I'll see guys come up to each other in the gym and be like, we should hit arms today or we should do this or that. Like, you know, me telling people like, they'll, they'll ask me what I'm working on and I'll be like, um, well, I'm working on I try to like I have my immediate answer which is like you know rotation in the femur or something like that and then I try to really like shift it into like uh just my hips you know just trying to get my hips to feel good and and so it's I'm always trying to bridge the gap and like bring more people into it and I do think that like what Anthony was talking about on his Instagram recently about the the people who are the maybe not the maybe maybe the smartest or or the the best at the the biomechanics game they're not good marketers and and i think that's consistent with like the whole field is that like fp does a pretty decent job with their marketing like they're, i'm seeing their stuff on facebook blow up and um they're making memes and things like that so like they're starting to get it but like we all need to like figure out how to how to present this in a way that's more digestible for people because it's like it's hard not to get lost in it and then sometimes I find myself like I get in front of the camera and I'm like what am I even gonna say like there's so many things that I was just thinking about and working on how do I translate this a lot of the people who follow me are not in this realm and they just they know me personally because I, I meet a lot of people like I'd say probably around half my followers I've met in real life so there's um, as much as I love getting complex and sounding smart and using the language and all that stuff. A lot, I talk to people and they're like, "I have no idea what you're saying, but it was cool. You know, I liked it. I like your content. You speak well." And I'm like, "I want you to understand. I want you to grasp the concepts." So there's, I think there's always a fine balance there. But um, yeah, yeah. So. Like with the art of move, I kind of know it's for the the nerds, right? Like I know it's for the, I'm not trying to reach the mainstream because it's just not going to happen in that way, right? Like I want to kind of take it mainstream eventually in terms of getting more mainstream guests on. But uh, I know at this point it's it's for the nerds, right? It's for the people who are really in, in the weeds with it and want to know the details or, you know, at least getting the conversation to start. Right. I, I don't mind being wrong either. Like it, it doesn't matter. Like it, I'm going to give my opinion and I can be wrong with it, but someone has to start somewhere. Right. Like there's the, 
you know, Goda's doing it, Wex doing it, FP, like OKF, like there's there's a few, right, that are they're doing their own thing, but rarely do they kind of like talk amongst each other, right? So it's a very isolated field and very closed off in, in camps. And FP is the same thing, right? Very closed off in camps. And that's definitely not the way to get it out. And there's a lot of students coming up too that are wondering between like what is actually going on in there, right? So... And that's another thing too. A lot of the uh, like physios, chiropractors, medical doctors, osteopaths, they're curious about this stuff too because they're working with the body. They'll be more interested in the deeper aspects of it and they can give it to their patients and it can the d information can disseminate that way. But in terms of getting it out to the mainstream, you got to match the energy. It's got to be like a fast clip. Um, it's got to draw you in. You know, like Move You? Um, oh, on, yeah. Okay. They have sexy people on there, and they're doing yeah. ridiculous things, right? But what are their, what's their viewership? Like, right. to me, is, is, is that selling out? I don't know. Like, I'm, it's purposeful marketing towards being sexy and uh, using sex to sell. Some people might have objection with it, but they know Move You, and they don't know the people who are doing the, the deep work, right? So... There's a double-edged sword to this where um, you got to kind of know your audience, I guess. Like, um, I'm not going to sell Art of Move to uh, for the mainstream to watch it yet because it's just not – it's not that type of info, right? We're trying to get deep. We're trying to do that, and then um, eventually maybe we can find a way to branch it to the mainstream. Yeah, yeah, I noticed like one one individual who's really going into all the different camps would be uh, the Barefoot Sprinter. Like he's really made a lot of connections recently, it seems like. And I, I will say this, like whether or not they're, you know, they're, um, I guess it depends on how purist minded you are mm -hmm. with, with movement in general. But like, as long as somebody's kind of steering the tide away from what's already there, like the deadlifting, um, and the, or I shouldn't even say of specific movements, but like the no pain, no gain mindset, as long as somebody's steering away from that, you know, talking about being barefoot outside and things like that, like, yeah, some of the information is like, eh, but the general consensus is like, I think it's better than before. And that's the, that's the thing that I'm sort of concerned with is that we're making progress and that we're growing and like, um, I can see why, like it, it would be, you know, you're, I think we'll always be walking that fine line between whether or not we're like selling out. But like, again, as long as we're pushing people in the right direction, uh, it's more of just like, what, again, what are you, are you total purist minded? Does everything have to be locomotion? Like that sort of a thing. And I, I also, I don't want to. I don't ever want to turn people off from it just by like saying it has to be this way. Like if I can get you to even just adopt, um, 20% of your routine, great. That's going to take, that's going to take, maybe that's the difference between them having a life debilitating injury and not, you know, we can't, there's so many variables at play here that like, we can't just condemn something because it doesn't align with like what we're in, in tune with. I think that there's gotta be more, more communication, more collaboration, 
Um, and, and then that way, like the information threshold just keeps going up and people just have more and more access to this stuff. And like, there's always a comment section. If somebody's really curious, they can look and see if people are all like vibing with it. If there's people who are disagreeing with, that's what I do. When I see something, I'm always curious what the people are saying. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I like where everything's going. And I think that the, if it's true and it's good, like it will last. And if it's not, then it'll kind of fizzle out. And that's, 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 yeah, that's just my opinion on it. I, I also don't think it'll fizzle out because I think a lot of the information is gold, right? Like, um, when I watch the biomechanics people move, it's much better than, you know, most out there, right? That uh, the gym guys who are jacked, they're not displaying movement. In fact, when they say movement, they mean lifting things in the gym. How's your movement when you lift, right? So it's like, you shall know them by their fruits. It's like when this person is saying something, can they actually display it themselves or show somebody that they've taught to display it, right? So right. whether you like, let's say functional patterns, right? Like, uh, you know, movement observers always like their feet are ducked out and, and things like that, right? Where you can have your critiques about FP, but they are producing better movers and people who are very into the, um, into the subject. Right. So I like the, like to, to go back to that. I like their, how they integrate fascia into the body, right. And how they try to go part by part and try to understand how everything's moving together. Maybe they have it correct. Maybe they don't, but at least they're on that train and it's an elevation above just go and lift for exercise sake. Right. So again, yeah, with the barefoot sprinter, same type of thing. Maybe he doesn't know the best information, right? Maybe he he doesn't have it, and he's just trying to do what what he can do, and he's a good marketer, right? So, I think everyone kind of has their place. Like, I've learned a lot of information. I can't help but nerd out. So that's where I'm at, right? Um, my plan actually is to be like a I'm going to start a YouTube channel and just find other people's videos and critique them, right? And uh, people are probably going to hate me for it and, and love me for it. Right. So it's going to, it's going to be interesting stuff. Right. But I'm just going to commentary on top of other, because I hate editing and all that. I like to be outside moving myself. So it'll be an easy way for me to do it. Um, and maybe that'll, that'll reach a lot more people. Right. So, and not everybody's goal is to reach like to get the million followers, you know, mm -hmm. the people with the million followers think that that's everyone's goal. And most people think that like, you know, the mainstream think that's, that's the goal, but maybe it's not the goal. Maybe it's to reach the right people. Like, uh, do the best scientists in the world with the best ideas, the best inventions, do they reach everybody? No, they reach who they need to reach. And then the information's disseminated from there. Right. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough one, right? Like I think everyone kind of has their role and you choose where you're at and, and go, go with it. Right. That's a really good point that you bring up. Like my main thing is I'm just trying to define my role so that I know what I'm good at. I can, um, expedite the process of putting out this information because it really is, you know, I work, uh, 55 ish hours a week. Then that's another 10 to 15 hours, maybe 20 hours a week if I'm really on top of the, the social media stuff. So it's like you, if you're working to, to put the content out there and do all that, like you need it, 
you need to figure out the best route to go with it. I think that's a brilliant idea for you to just kind of like openly critique people and, and give, give viewers a chance to just hear, um, hear perspective laid out, especially on the more mainstream or, or not mainstream, but the, the people who are starting to shine in the industry, like the move you and, and barefoot sprinter. Um, that would be, I would be very interested to watch that for sure. Are you trying, are you going to be doing that pretty soon here? Yeah. Um, I'm going to start this week and, and just oh, so give her like, um, my, my interests aren't exactly in like the funny thing is biomechanics isn't even my main interest really. Like, um, it's one of them, but I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of do have to niche down. So maybe I'll start with that and start with the mechanics. Maybe I'll critique the people who are critiquing other people. Um, <laughs> peer in on debates and kind of give my like idea about it. That's, that's where I'm at with that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Cause you post all different kinds of movers and sports and just like anything movement related. Huh? It's the art of move. It's not just the art of like biomechanics, right? It's, it's, right. I, I enjoy watching even if someone's inside ankle bone low, right. Or like doesn't yeah. move, it moves with duck feet. That's fine. Right. Like it, it's, it's all good. Um, yeah. I'll watch you do your thing. Another thing is like, um, uh, I, I guess this is a whole nother subject, but athletes who promote certain, uh, ways of doing things get a lot of clout because they're athletic, right? Which mm. on the other end of it, it's trainers latch on to, um, athletes and they're like, look what I did with this athlete. Right. So does like, let's say Ronaldo, is he the best soccer player because he lifted, uh, or is bolt the best sprinter because he did like a medicine ball toss. It's like, no, probably not. Right. Probably what he did his whole life was actually move and run. And Ronaldo played soccer endlessly in the sun. But then you have the clip of him lifting. It's like Ronaldo lifts like this. So I should lift like this too. So there's a lot of promotion within the training field of like, look what I did for this guy, but I don't see the opposite end of it where it's like this person didn't succeed or this person got injured and now I'm taking the blame for it. Right. Yeah. So, um, that's what I like about Gota too. It's like, um, I'm still yet to see someone give me that inside ankle bone low. I've been calling it out. I'm like, show me the inside ankle bone low, uh, Achilles injury, right? Like, or sorry, inside ankle bone high Achilles injury. Yeah. It's like, it's, it, nobody's showing it. So it's like, that is sure it's anecdotal, but based on observation of thousands of videos, open source, it's like, if you can't rebut that, there's something to it. There's no black swan. Black swan is like that one video that would kind of disprove that all of them happen inside ankle bone low. Right. Yeah. And even if it was like one very clear video that was, you know, zoomed in and everything there, there's an exception to every rule. And so like you would need, you would need multiple. And, and that's what I love about Goda is that it, it is so in my mind, a lot of it is surefire because you just see it again and again and again. And, and it's, um, you know, a lot of people aren't into the fractals thing, but I'm all about that. And so that, that's another thing that resonated with me. Um, like I didn't, didn't, didn't David Weck bring up a, a clip and then you guys were talking about it for a while going back and forth. Yeah. See, like that was the one that like maybe could have made some, some good points on it, but it still just was not, 
it's obvious that inside ankle bone high is the more secure position. I'm, it's funny too, like I'll see, I, there's a couple guys online who are um, very critical of Gota that I follow that when I, when they're doing, um, some of them do like kind of FP-ish stuff. Some of them do like Landmine or, or um, Patrick Hawkins, like Vomino Stick. Um, but I still see him using the Gota feet. <laughs> They're still they're still trying to maintain inside ankle bone high, so um, I, I love the fact that we've we've found something that's like very surefire in this field, and and it's like the you know with the feet in general. Like I remember when I went through FP, um, at one point I remember Naudi saying like don't really focus too much on the feet because the rib cage orientation is what d determines uh, pressure distribution in the foot, and there's validity to that for sure, but like. I'm so glad that I found Goda because that's what was missing from my life was footwork. I had no idea what to do with my feet and my my movements throughout my whole body with the hypermobility looked so unorganized and floppy. And then the second that I started putting the feet in place, like up the chain, you saw everything start to like come together. So that was really cool. Yeah. Again, you got to test too, right? Like test your test yourself. Like, um, do people actually test themselves? Because um, like when I'm running mountains here, like I'm running long distances and terrain, it's like the feet have to be like, I can feel the difference between the two. Right. And I know again, that's anecdotal, but like if it rains true as I'm doing it, if it changes it, it makes me feel better as I'm doing it. I can't deny, I can't like look away from it. You know what I mean? It personally. So I'm like, there's something to this, right? Like it's well, not just imagine. to me, it's not just rib pressure. I, I get that. I, that's huge. Right. That'll, like tensegrity alone will, you know, if you expand your ribs, you're going to be tighter just from that uh, aspect of it, right? And it does have implications upstream and downstream, but you hitting the ground, it's hard for me to believe that your impact on the ground, the uh, actual organ that's hitting the ground doesn't have anything, isn't that important. It yeah, makes yeah, not yeah. that much sense to me, right? Like, I think it is right. ultra important. And it's not just mechanics either. It's there's feel like, you know, Chung Z and, um, football entangled and, and those guys like talking about the fascia at the foot. I think there's something major to that, right? The foot to glute connection, even though I don't look at it like that, the, the fact that everything's connecting fascially and it's like an electrical signal that's happening quickly. That is a huge aspect that's missing in the whole debate, right? Because someone who is, let's say prone to inside ankle bone low, I, I could say one person who is fascially integrated, who, who can move smoothly, they can pull it off for a long, long time and still look good because they do have that, you know, connection where let's say their nervous system recognizes the, uh, bounce and doesn't let you go too far. Right. Or, or the collapse of the ankle doesn't let you go too far versus someone who's just rigid inside ankle bone high but doesn't have that connection, I would say the person who's more fascially integrated would have a better uh, chance there, have a better, uh, let's say, elasticity bounce into the ground. So it's not completely cut and dry. There's some gray area there to me where I would, I would definitely love to be more inside ankle bone high and have that nice rotary movement heal away without thinking about it. But most people aren't there, right? So... Yeah. 
to me, it's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of like my goal is to have that, but there's a gray area there where I would also like to have to be fascially integrated throughout my body, have everything moving smooth. That is the real gravy to me. That's the missing piece that a lot of people are missing. And I think Chung Z has a lot of uh, gold there. And a lot of that also comes from meditation. I was thinking that last night while I was walking. It's like you ha actually have to put your mind into it. Mind is not brain to me. Mind is like you have to put your intention into feeling what you're doing. Um, and that does take conscious effort. Like I, I don't buy into the just work on your mechanics and it'll just happen. Sometimes it does, but a lot of times it doesn't. You have to actually concentrate and put your intention into getting those connections to actually work. And that might take years. It depends on where you're at. Again, like if you've tightened up your whole life because like, let's say you've been anxious or um, you haven't moved just because you're not that type of person, you're an office worker, you're going to have to put a little bit more time in or a lot more time in to get to those, those places, right? To get to the, the good movement, the good fascia, the good bounce, the good elasticity, um, and the, the good mechanics. Even if you can put your ankle bones up high right away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause it's the 10 segregate structure. Everything's connected. Um, I got one more question for you sure. and then I got to get to work. Do you feel like there's room for, or validity to a, com not completely, but a, 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 a training, um, modality that's oriented around sensory experience if somebody can define what we should be feeling and and i'll give you kind of because this is this is for me personally like i do I, this is kind of what i'm trying to develop and i think that the eventual goal the end game would be to feel nothing and to just move you're not feeling connective tissue you're not feeling muscles contracting you're mm -hmm. just moving through space and that's it Oh yeah. Like, uh, I think that's the missing piece, right? Like, I think that if you were born outside, you know, like, uh, and take indigenous again, not touched by Western culture, they're out, they're doing their thing. They're not thinking about walking so much, but again, they might look when they're moving through terrain, they're definitely thinking about what they're doing. They don't want to stab their foot, right? They don't want to, they don't want injuries. There's no hospital out there. There's like, you know, there's medicine men, but there's like, you don't want to break your, your leg out there. Right. So you're definitely, when there's terrain, you're thinking about what you're doing, but for the most part, you're just living life. I think that's key, but none of us are there. We all grew up in these, like these, uh, made up environments, some more than others. Right. And I think going back to nature is the key there to get outside and to feel what it's like to actually be in nature. Nature is a very, very good teacher. Right. So I think it actually takes that and a little bit of meditation, not like sitting there meditating, but feeling and experiencing what it's like to actually move in a real environment without the things that'll take away your sensation like shoes. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I've learned so much from, from just walking barefoot that I, I could not even teach somebody this. You have to just go out and experience it. It's, it's, a. um, it's the way your body naturally forms around objects. Um, I don't have to think about like, I, I was running on rocks the other day and Anthony's just like, that's more impressive than anything. It's just like the fact that you can do that. And, and now it's getting to the point where my feet will just automatically mold over the rocks that I'm running over. Wow. Right. I don't have to think about it, but wow. 
I, I do have to watch where I'm going, but my feet will automatically do it. Okay. So they're like, uh, it's almost like a hand. If you yeah. put your rocks over a hand, it's acting more like that now. Um, I couldn't think my way to that though. There'd be, there'd be nothing like that. So I do think, yeah, sensation is massive and a massive missing aspect to it. Sensation and, uh, intention are the two missing aspects. We're thinking too mechanically in the general sense and not enough on intention, sensation, and, uh, getting back to nature is really the key. You know, the, the meme, they're like the nature and fascia boys. It's like uh, a lot of like the physio, you know, guys say this, it's like, they make fun of you for it. It's like, yeah. That's, that's who I am. You know what I mean? Or like, <laughs> yeah. that, that is, it's not insulting to me. It's, it's great. Right. So, yeah. um, yeah, not everyone's there though. And not everyone has the, you know, the luxury of having an outdoor environment right outside, but you can get back closer to that, even in an urban environment, getting outside, getting in the sun, uh, you know, feeling what it's like to have, to actually move through a little bit of terrain with your, with bare foot not always having to be the ground reaction force guy. That's like, I'm creating the most ground reaction force here. Therefore it's the best. It's like, feel your way through tough environments. And, and that's another thing with like sand training, you do get a lot of this type of sensation. It's a little bit, um, soft. So you don't get as much as you would within a, like a rocky and, uh, terrain, but there's something to being in sand. A lot of the best soccer players, they play in sand, right? Like, they're not creating the most vertical ground reaction force at that moment, but they're learning to integrate themselves in the ground and to feel what it's like. You don't always have to go max too, right? Like yeah. it's learning to feel, learning the sensations. And of course I'd want it to be automatic, but 99.9% .9 of us are not there. So there has to be some intention there first, and then you can make it automatic. Kind of like. like we have to have an, an, an intention to decompartmentalize because that's how we perceive everything and unfortunately it translates into our movement and sometimes compartmentalization can help it can specify and it can um, ar articulate your intent but at the end of the day like eventually you just have to start letting go and letting loose and like you were saying, like, get outside, feel the ground on your feet, feel the wind on your face, feel the sun on your skin, all those things. They're, they're all, it's all biofeedback and like, it's going to help you kind of just like, that, that's our natural environment. Like, how are we supposed to decompartmentalize and get back to our most natural fluid self if we're in an, inside an air conditioning with artificial lighting and all that, that high anxiety type of those, those stress factors? Um, and also dance is a huge one. Like, I, I don't oh. think enough people dance and let their bodies just go and feel what it's like to flow as you dance. And, and I find dance to be like the, uh, same spectrum as martial arts or, or boxing. It's like boxing's more like the striking, the, the, I guess you could say violent side it doesn't have to be, but like the violent side of things where dance is like the fear, the free flow of your body, moving energy through your body with a song that you love everybody loves to do it. Most people need alcohol or, or drugs to, to get to that state where they're just letting go. But if you can do that, you know, when you're home, put on some music, let yourself go, or even outside, let yourself go for 15, 20 minutes, that's going to do more for you. Um, than most workouts in the gym for hours, you know, like in, in terms of like, I would say spirituality, right? Like in terms of getting your vibe up, 
that's going to do more than than almost anything absolutely yeah yeah dude all right man thank you so much this was an awesome talk i i wish uh i wish we could keep it going um yeah. <laughs> thank you thank you also for making it happen so fast too really yeah appreciate that uh anthony's on vacation so i had, I had the free time i was like let's do it but uh right. let's do it again whenever that was awesome thank you for having me and uh we'll see you soon absolutely also uh real quick before you go yeah if if you ever do plan any like long i think i've mentioned this to you before if you plan any like long backpacking trips let me know because i would love to shoot up there and i've never done that before and it, it's something that i definitely want to experience yeah 100 percent um i was a little busy this summer i had a family member that was uh ill so I kind of lost the summer activity schedule there, but um, yeah, I'll definitely be down. If you ever want to come skiing, that's that's the real, the real deal. Yeah. yeah. Do you ski I've at all? Always a, I've always been a snowboarder, so I'd love to have somebody teach me how to ski because I'm well, ready to I'm ready to sell my snowboard and. Uh, how advanced are you at snowboarding? I've been snowboarding since I was five. Okay, so, so I would stick with snowboarding. Uh, like if you're going to come out for a vacation, cause uh, it's, it Is takes it years to get, there? well, it takes years to get to a level where you're, uh, would be competent going in the terrain that you would be if you were snowboarding since you were five. And that's where the real fun is. Right. So yeah. That's true. And I'm, I'm used to, um, I'm used to fake snow. <laughs> yeah. None of that here. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, yeah, dude, I'll, I'll keep you posted, um, on, on like, if we can do another episode soon and then, yeah, just let me know if you plan something. Yeah. hundred percent. All right. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Have a good yeah, one, man. Take it easy.